Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt, and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the Nashville Leadership Podcast, which is presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. My guest today is Mike Christakis. Mike is the Vice President for Student Affairs at the University at Albany. Mike was a national president for Omicron Delta Kappa from 2012 until 2016 and also serves as the president for University Auxiliary Services at UAlbany. In March 2015, Mike was also named the national co-chair for NASPA's Assessment, Evaluation, and Research Knowledge Community. Mike holds a BA in Political Science and History from Alfred University and an MPP and PhD from the University at Albany Rockefeller College of Public Affairs and Policy. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Miles. All right, so uh, just so we can uh, get folks to know you a little bit, we're going to transition into a regular segment we do called Rapid Fire. So I'm going to ask okay. a couple of big, silly questions, and I'm going to limit you to a 30-second response. You ready? Got it. Got it. Let's do okay, it. Okay, great. Uh, so what is the best first chapter of a book you read this year? Uh, best first chapter. Um, I was reading the book. I'm actually still reading the book. Uh, Sherry Turkle's uh, Reclaiming Conversation, first chapter, I think, was The Empathy Diaries. Um, and mm -hmm. I do, full disclosure, have a tendency to um, only read through the first couple of chapters in a book. This is a book that I'm continuing to read, and I think a lot of it had to do with uh, the way that, um, that Turkle framed up uh, the need for more conversation in the world today. So uh, the first chapter of that one was called The Empathy Diaries. Okay. All right, so I understand that you are, uh, I, I don't want to call you an architecture buff, it feels like that's too much pressure, but yeah, I understand that you have, an, you have an interest in uh, architecture. I so do. what is your favorite building in these here United States? I would probably go with, um, and this may strike some as a bit of a cop-out, but i go with the U.S. Capitol uh, because I, in addition to being um, a bit of an architecture, Buff might be a little bit strong, but have an interest in architecture, um, I've also, um, I was a history major in college, uh, U.S. history. So that sort of blends those two interests and passions of mine. I think that um, the U.S. Capitol, just a tour of the U.S. Capitol, there's so many neat little stories in every corner of that building. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Mm. Do you like the uh, the whisper thing? Do you know about that? Yeah, the whis yeah the whisper thing. I couldn't even tell you exactly what it is, but like there's. I feel like when I have gone through the Capitol, um, and I've done it. I did it when I was a kid. I did it when I was in college. I did it during a leadership um, seminar that I did in high school. Ironically, there's always just another story that gets added. Um, to that experience, depending on you know, the, the tour guide you've got. I mean, I feel like that would be the coolest job would be giving tours of the U.S. Capitol, particularly if, you've, if you're somebody who loves the, the architecture but also loves the, the little tidbits and stories that you can share. Okay. All right. Uh, now for a really essential question. Uh, who is the best Twitter follow in student affairs? Well, that would be, that would be me. Of course. Other than other than you, oh. other than you, <laughs> I probably go with um, I go with LJ Levester Johnson, uh, who was the VPSA at Butler. He he is now moving to uh, I want to say Indiana. Um, but I, I think Levester's got a real. I think he's a great follow. Uh, as a as a sitting chief student affairs officer, because I like the way he engages his students on Twitter, um, but I also like the way he uh, sort of portrays his own um, his personal life, his family, his time with his kids. I mean, I think it, it, it embodies the balance that we need in our roles, and I think LJ does it really, really well. 
Okay, great. So he's a, a distant second to you, so we'll just proceed. <laughs> Noted. Note that. Proceed yeah. with that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, so if you only had one meal left to eat, what restaurant would you pick and why? Um, I'd probably go with uh, the Old Ebbett Grill um, in D.C. Um, uh, hit that place up uh, maybe, I don't know, three or four times um, in my life and, you know, with various people. Um, I like the atmosphere. There's something about the atmosphere in that. It's in Washington, D.C., so something about the location. Um, I think the, the food is um, exceptional. Uh, crab cakes, I'm a big crab cake guy. I go with the crab cakes. The last time I was there in January, I also did uh, oysters, which, who I'm, which I'm a huge fan of. So um, it's a good meal. You see some cool people. Um, you know, it's got a really neat atmosphere. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that it's across the street from the White House. I it does not. <laughs> All right, so if one fictional character could lead you through a crisis, who would you pick and why? Um, I would go with uh, Jack Reacher. Um, Jack mm. Reacher. This is the the Lee Childs uh, books. Um, that I, I've read a couple of them. Um, and if I full disclosure, I, I've probably done more of them on tape on longer road trips than um, than actually read. But um, and, I, and I also full disclosure did, did not watch the Jack Reacher film that um, featured Tom Cruise. I'm not entirely sure I would have cast Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher, by the way. Um, but Jack Reacher just you know there's grit there. There's he's gritty. Um, always manages to come out on top of a situ of really difficult situations. So if I needed somebody to uh, lead me through a crisis, uh, I'd go I'd go with Reacher. Okay, great. Who is the best leader you know and why? Um, I go with uh, Ken Ruscio. Ken Ruscio is the president of um, Washington and Lee University. I got to know Ken through our uh, mutual work with Omicron Delta Kappa. He had been um, on the board and served as national president for four years, uh, a couple of national presidents before I served. Um, he... Uh, He's interested in the leadership space just as a matter of his academic interest, uh, which I think is, is pretty cool. Um, but both in, in his demonstrated leadership, so when I did have the pleasure of serving with him on the board, how he managed the board's strategic thinking, which was which was a transition for our, for, for our organization at that particular time, um, as well as how he's led WNL. And, and he's, uh, he's stepping down from the presidency, um, at the end of the calendar year, I believe. Um, and uh, he'll be taking on a role with the Virginia Commission of, of Private College or something like that. But he, um, you know, he's just, he's wicked smart. He's easy to talk to. Um, and he's passionate about the leadership space, and particularly as it relates to sort of democracy and civic engagement. So uh, I, I go with Ken Ruscio as, as my, the best, the best leader I know. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and a little uh, a little preview for the fall. Uh, we we uh, do have current national president of Omicron Delta, Kappa Matt Clifford, who's going to come on the podcast to talk about ODK. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So He's a good be, man. He's a good man. Yeah, break, breaking news here on the podcast. Really all right. Hot. So, <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Mike. What's the best book about leadership? Um. There's there's a lot of stuff out there. I, I'd probably go uh, with 
um, there is Max a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff. I probably go with Max Dup- Max Dupree's book, Leadership as an Art. I think is the title of it. Um, it's sitting on my bookshelf somewhere. I, I remember reading this when I was in college. Um, literally picked it up in our college bookstore. I think some of the appeal had had to do with the fact that it had leadership in the title. I think the other thing that was appealing to me was it wasn't overly thick. It was a pretty thin thin book and an easy read. But I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, if I recall, my biggest takeaway from Dupree's book, and I think he's read it, he's written a couple, it, it was this whole notion of um, you know empowering others, um, leading through vision, servant leadership, things of that nature, which I think are really important. And I, and I, you know, from a personal perspective, try to leverage that in the way that I um, lead in various capacities in different organizations. Um, so I, I'd probably go with Dupree's book. Okay. So the next segment is a, cl- a twist on a classic icebreaker. So it's higher ed, two truths and a lie. So Mike, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to provide two stories from higher ed uh, current events and one lie, and you're going to have to try to parse out the lie. So the theme this time is Southern oddities. Okay. So okay. I'm identifying the lie. You are identifying the lie. Yeah. Got it. But generally folks talk through their process. You know, they okay. sort of think out loud. <laughs> All right. So. You know, that that uh, is really up to you. Uh, okay, so your first option is Peter J. Brand, professor of Egyptian studies at the University of Memphis, recently got into an extended Twitter feud with the mummy star Brendan Fraser over what Brand, and I quote, uh, referred to as gross mischaracterization, mischaracterization of ancient Egyptian culture in the film. So that's your first option. The next option is that the College of the Ozarks has taken the unprecedented step of banning Pokemon Go from parts of its campus. That's another option. And then the final option is that a second semester student at Gordon State College in Georgia has received more than $180,000 in donations after campus police officers discovered him living in a tent near a college parking lot. So those are your, so those are your three <laughs> options. We have those are all those are all very. I think those are all probably they all could be true. I guess that's the point of the game, right? This little, this little exercise. That um, is, yeah. It would probably yeah. I probably would not have done a great job if the lie seemed very obvious. Very obvious, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the craft. Huh. Well, the Pokemon. Um, I've actually been doing a little Pokemon Go. Oh, you have? I have, yeah. I try, to stay, I try to stay pretty current with what students are doing. Um, it's been good. I, I've actually gotten a bit of a kick out of it. Um, I'm probably not doing it as much as some of our um, students that are here for orientation <laughs> this summer are, uh, and I've tried to be very careful as I'm crossing streets. So so the example in the Ozarks doesn't really doesn't strike me as a stretch because I know that um, there has been some concern about student safety. Um, uh, the, the mummy one, I don't know. I mean, that one, there was a lot of detail there. I feel like there was a lot of detail there, mm. which may or may not be true. Um, and the third one was a student in a tent, $180,000 worth of donations. That's Is that correct, right? yeah. Gordon State College in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the mummy one, uh, the Twitter feud. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm just going to go with that one because I feel like there was a lot of detail in that explanation. So you think that is the that is the I think lie. that's the lie. Yeah, I think that oh. the Pokemon one could be very true, and the donation of the kid in the tent could also be true. Well, you've done an excellent job applying your uh, chief student affairs officer wisdom to this to this game because you're correct. All right, all right, that's good. <laughs> I'm not a hunt. I mean, I can't verify for certain that Professor Peter J. Brand of Egyptian Studies at the University of Memphis has not gotten in a Twitter feud with Brandon <laughs> Fraser. Is he a real professor? I, in that, is he a real professor? That is a real professor okay, at a real okay. place. That is okay. what he actually does. Yeah, okay. so that's all true. I just don't okay. think that he has ever gotten in any sort of conflict in a public place with Brendan Fraser. That's good. Good. I really have no idea what he thinks about that movie. I would guess that he doesn't like it. I don't like it, but uh, it's fairly, uh, you know. There's not a lot more detail about the College of the Ozarks. That was, that was kind of a quick one. The second semester student at Gordon State College, yeah, he was a uh, – a uh, low-income student who's living in a tent, and the, these police officers, uh, these campus officers found him and then put him up in a hotel for a couple of days and really got his information out there on several, um, like, uh, police service boards and that sort of stuff, and that's where the donations came in. So he, uh, the student really wants to go to med school, and he thinks that he might have enough money now to get him through undergrad and wow. med school. So wow. pretty cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's an odd and nice story. Very rare. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. All right, great. So we're going to move into our next segment, which we're calling Getting to Know Mike. So this segment is designed to help us understand you as a person and as a professional. And we're going to touch on a couple of different things. So a little bit of context uh, just for everybody. Uh, I invited Mike on really to talk about two things, and that's what we're going to be getting to here in our conversation. One is his role with uh, the assessment and evaluation knowledge community here with NASPA and just talking about applying assessment to leadership programs. And then the other is Mike's role as, uh, as a VP for Student Affairs and talking about, you know, sort of big picture what he looks for from, uh, from leadership programs. So uh, the first question that I have for you is, what is the most challenging thing about leading a Student Affairs division? I think the most uh, challenging thing that I probably encounter every day is um, – is managing effectively managing resources, and um, I think some of the challenge with that has to do with, at least in my mind, there's managing which can be which can be very tactical. In some cases, it needs to be, and there's the I think important notion of leading a division, um, and and I think it's important for for uh, for me for a chief student affairs officer to be able to straddle both of those areas. Uh, you want to be able to provide a vision that moves the division and the institution forward in the student affairs space. Um, but you also, there's some fundamental realities as it relates to uh, the resources that we have. And, and it's not, you know, resources, I think we often have a tendency to go right to the financial, right? It's all dollars and cents, which more often than not it is. Um, but I, I say all the time to folks on our campus that the, the single greatest resource that that we have that I have in this division is our people and you know you could really sort of dig a little deeper and say well that really is dollars and cents because you're ultimately paying these folks to do the work and and that's that's a fair assessment um but it, it, it's how are we how are we managing the types of things that we are putting forward uh to achieve a vision um that in our case at least here is reimagining the student experience that's been sort of our mantra in the last 
18 months or so is how do we reimagine what the experience, particularly for undergraduate students, look like. Um, but to get there, takes resources. And um, you know, that's both a challenge and can sometimes be frustrating, but I also think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity um, to try to think about doing things differently. Um, but that, that, I think, probably consumes um, uh, the most amount of my time and my team's time, um, you know, both the senior team in, in the VP's office as well as the leadership team, the, the directors of the different units. And I, and I, you know, I, I am lucky in that um, I've got you know, people at the table who um, who subscribe to that notion as well? You know, how do we get the most bang for our buck, if you will, uh, with what we have that can really be a game changing experience uh, for a young person at the University at Albany? Hmm. Okay. What role does Omicron Delta Kappa play in the national leadership discussion? Um, I think that the there's a couple of roles that I think ODK um, has played through our history uh, and is positioned to continue to play going forward. One of them is celebrating and honoring leadership on college campuses. You know, we've done that uh, at 300 institutions for over 100 years now, um, and that's literally by virtue of of inducting uh, really exceptional collegiate leaders um, into the society. Um, I think the other part that uh, I, will, I will give credit to uh, Dr. Tara Singer, who's our executive director, uh, and to Dr. Matt Clifford, by the way, who's the new national president, is what else can we do to provide resources to leaders um, in, in the leadership space? Um, scholarship, uh, training, uh, and the like. And that is an area that particularly um, since Dr. Singer came on board, um, and especially in, in uh, Matt Clifford's work, um, while he was on the board, we served on the board together over the last two years, but he has done really significant work in trying to stand up uh, web portals, uh, if you will, um, that provide tools and resources. And I think one of the, one of the challenges, Miles, is that um, you know, in any given year, ODK will induct 8,000 new initiates um, uh, annually. Well, you know, that is one segment of the membership in ODK is the the collegiate members. Um, and in a case that, that I've I sought to make before I concluded my term as national president was we've also got to give some real serious thought to what we're doing programmatically uh, for for members who are not on a college campus, and that is really the largest segment of our of our membership is those who were inducted. You know, we we have it's either a blessing or a curse, but ODK is a two year honor society. So you're a junior, senior, or a graduate student, I guess, um, and then and then you you move on. And so you're always a member of ODK. Uh, it's lifetime membership. We, we say that very clearly up front. But what kind of resources are we providing you um, in your career, in your role in the community? Uh, and maybe on a college campus, if you're somebody like myself who's made a career of, of being on a college campus, then, then ODK is, is routinely top of mind. But if you're in the corporate sector or the nonprofit sector, um, you know, I still think there are ways that ODK can help you uh, become a better leader, um, uh, particularly today. And it, it's thinking innovatively about how we get those resources in the hands of our members, not just 
the 8,000 a year or 16,000 biannually, but really the ones that are members for life uh, in communities around the country and around the world. Um, so I think there's lots of potential. There continues to be lots of potential for ODK in the leadership space. And I, and I, um, I give a lot of credit to Dr. Singer and Dr. Clifford, um, who, you know, this might be an area that you want to uh, poke Matt on when you talk to him, about what more ODK can do um, to inform that space and to be a resource uh, for, for people that are interested in leadership and leadership development. Sure. Uh, and when you say poke Matt, you mean uh, like ask him questions about it. You don't mean like in the Facebook sense, right? Yeah, no, right, exactly. Yeah, ask him questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just checking. Shout out to Matt Clifford, former that's right, former co-chair of the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's talk assessment a little bit. Um, sure. You know, we don't have to talk specifically about leadership programs in this moment, but I but I think you have a convicting answer to this question. So why assess? Why assess? You want to assess because you want to make your programs better. Uh, that is, you want to in, in inform your practices um, so you can enhance their delivery, you can enhance the student's experience. Um, assessment for me and for those of us who, who have done it and continue to do it, particularly in the student affairs space, really needs to be about um, uh, sort of what's next after the assessment. Um, it, it, it shouldn't, you know, I say all the time, you shouldn't be assessing because you're told to assess. You should assess because you really want to make your programs better. Um, we should all want to make our programs better all of the time. Um, and I think once you, and I've seen this happen on our campus and other campuses, once you understand that, once you're able to lead from that position of assessment as um, as sort of change agent, if you will, that I can use what I know through the data we've collected to make something better. And you begin to see those changes. Uh, and then the subsequent data, by the way, I, I think it, it makes a very uh, compelling argument as to why it's, it's a lot more than just being told by an accreditor that you need to assess. Um, it actually does begin to become just a natural part of what we do in our daily work. Yeah, I think when you talk with folks, sometimes when you when you mention assessment, people's eyes kind of glaze over, and you, yeah. you feel like you're trying to tell them that, to take their medicine. Right. And I think when rephrased exactly how you're talking about it, they're thinking about because I, I think people think of assessment as externally focused. You know, it's accreditation. Yes, it's it's reporting. It's program justification. And I think if people think about it as, no, it's just making you better at your job. It's just informing what you are doing to improve the service that you're providing to students and to your fellow staff members, whatever the case may be. I right. think if people can sort of reframe and think about it that way and get past sort of the wall of math um, and the sort of forced upon nature that people feel about it, I think it can really change things. I also think that assessment by its nature lends itself to to being able to lead more effectively because you've got better information. And I think that, you know, I've always, I've always been of the opinion that information is power. And, um, and, and that should be information that you use for good. And so, you know, I, earlier in our conversation, you know, what's the challenge and what's resources? Well, if you've got, if I've got more information, I've got better data that will help inform decisions that I make or that 
the leadership team makes here, or that I can then use to articulate to my president. That's better, and that's assessment used for good in a lot of ways. And I think I, I think you're right. Once you sort of move beyond this notion of ex- only externally facing or being required to do something, and you begin to use it, um, you know, f- for good. I mean, there's like a superhero connotation there, but you use it for good. I think you begin to see how you can change things uh, for for the better. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what forms of self-doubt do you think prevents assessment from occurring in student affairs? I think there's I think there's quite a, a lot of elements to, of self-doubt. Uh, unfortunately, um, then I then I think that um, are, are to some extent framed up as as myths. I mean, I don't think they need to be preventing us. I think that we've got it sort of in our psyche that that we might not be able to do assessment. Um, as as perfectly, um, so I think I actually think perfection um, is truly the enemy of the good in this space. I and mean, I think that you know we're always trying to frame the question exactly right. And you know, given everything else that we're doing in student affairs, do you have the time to wordsmith and craft and recraft um, a series of questions for? a survey, a focus group, a rubric, whatever it is. And I, I think you know, the answer to that is, is no. There isn't that much time to do that. And, and with every passing day, you're missing an opportunity to, to gather data. So I think you know, being looking to be too, too perfect um, as, we, as, we, as we frame up various assessments, I, I think can, can hamstring you moving um, a positive assessment agenda forward. Um, you know, I think we get caught up in, in you know, sample size is a pet peeve of mine. I mean, I, you know, r- routinely we'll have professionals, student affairs professionals, well, you know, we have this survey in the field and the sample size isn't big enough. And, and my response to them is I, I just don't think that that should stop you from being able to use the data you've collected. You know, if you've got um, a, a, a 12, 15, 25% response rate, are you going to not consider that data? because it hasn't hit a 30, 35% threshold. I mean, it's still information that your students are providing to you. Uh, I, I tell the story about walking across campus and engaging a student. You know, how are things going? I mean, that unto itself is a type of assessment. I'm asking the student how their experience has been here. If they tell me something, um, you know, uh, I wasn't able to register for, for classes effectively, the food wasn't great in the dining hall, uh, or I don't have hot water in my residence hall. Am I not taking that response because it's an N of one? No, I, I think I am. I mean, I'm going to do some follow-up on it. And, maybe, and it may be a, an ex, a unique experience to that one student. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't address it, though. So I think sort of getting our uh, wrapping our head more around the notion of action research, which is what I think assessment, particularly in student affairs, is, uh, versus you know something that would be in a refereed journal. Uh, you know that that's it could be some of work can be, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be, um, but it shouldn't stop you. It shouldn't prevent us from using the data that that is available to to our fingertips. Um, and I, I also say in that in a similar vein, I think we have a tendency to, um, and this is self-inflicted. Ask for too much. I mean, I think that you know we're, we're saying we're going to put a survey together. I want to put a hundred, you know, two hundred questions out there, get a response to it. We're not going to be able to do a lot with two hundred some odd questions. I mean, this is some of the challenges that you've got with these 
surveys, these institutional level surveys that are run out of different associations. They're big. They're very sizable instruments. Um, and I'm not going to mention any by name because I don't want to certainly offend, but you know, the reality is if you're running some of those, you need to be comfortable enough picking two, three, four very salient data points that really have an impact on your program that you feel you can actually affect change um, through and, and really tackle those. You, you know, you, you're not going to be able to deal with the world of questions that are on, that are on the table. You know, you're not going to deal with all 200 responses in, in the data. You need to pick the ones that, at least in my view, um, you, could put, you could potentially change. I mean, you, you know, in some ways, once you close uh, data collection, um, you, you should be in some ways thinking to the next time you're going to collect the data. So, you know, close data collection, what are four areas that, that you could frame up as, as areas for improvement? If I could actually make changes in two or three of those areas, the next time I collect data, will there be noticeable change um, in, in the student's experience and how they're responding to that? That should be what drives you in the kind of data that, that I think you're, you're looking at. But... Um, yeah, I think, you know, to, to use the Nike, you know, just do it. I mean, I think that, that that's one of the big things that I've learned certainly in my career in working in the assessment, the student affairs assessment space, is just do it. Just do it. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be great, but something is better than nothing. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that, and I think that that's really helpful for people to hear. I think there's the, again, that that wall of numbers that prevents people from, you know, going past that, and I think we deal with yeah. Sometimes we're dealing with data bullies internally that are, you know, that are sort of sticking their nose up at whatever you're producing and saying, well, that's not valuable because of X, Y, and T. It's like, yeah. well, no, it still says something. That's right. Yeah, and you've got to own it. I mean, you've got to go into a situation and absolutely own it. You know, if you – and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're in a much – you're in a much different position if you're trying to go in and own, you know, if you, again, if you, I'm thinking about a particular evaluation, but, you know, it's, it's 200 some odd questions long. You can't really wrap your head around all of that. So in some ways, you're already setting yourself up for failure. But if you're pulling out three or four data points that you really, you know inside and out, not only do you know them inside and out, but you've got some ideas for ways to help at the next administration of that evaluation to really move the dial, you own that. So even if you encounter, a, a, you know, like you framed it up, a, a data bully, you can come at that person with, with hard evidence that this is something that is bona fide. It's legitimate. And you know it, you own it, and you can look at ways to improve uh, the program that that's reflective of. We had some slight audio issues on the back end of the podcast there, but I want to thank everyone for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. I want to thank you to Mike Krasakis, a true friend in the field and sincerely a wonderful human being. Uh, Mike can be found on Twitter at, at Mike Christakis. That's M-I-K-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-A-K-I-S. And you can get more information about the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also connect with me on Twitter at, at Miles, that's M-Y-L-E-S underscore Surrett, that's S-U-R-R-E-T-T. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we would love to hear about your program. So please shoot an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.